When we last left our mighty heroes, they were at City Hall, where they were being given the key to the city. When all of a sudden, Egghead and his Yolki henchmen attack with the pulse-pounding podcasters. While they were preoccupied, Egghead kidnapped the chief of police. The awesomely audacious attackers tracked down the hard-boiled villain to his secret hideout. While attempting to get Egghead's autograph, because they realize he's played by uh, Vincent Price, the, the cracked criminal released a trapdoor where they seem to be falling to their deaths. Will they survive? Will they get that autograph? Stay tuned for the latest episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Excelsior, and welcome to Attack of the Killer podcast live. Yeah. I am your crypt keeper, Insane Mike. And how's everybody doing tonight? Yeah. I want to thank everybody for coming. That This is awesome seeing you all here. So we have a great show for you tonight. There will be laughs. There will be serious discussions. And even oh, some audience participation. Or precipitation. <laughs> so, uh, since we are here at Capes Cafe, we will be discussing horror-themed comic book movies. That's our topic for this show. Now, how many people have listened to the podcast before? Yeah. Sweet, sweet. Hands sound really good on a podcast, so great. <clears throat> Everyone um, in the crowd raised their hand. <laughs> every All single, of them. Every single one. People in the streets were raising their hand. Um, <clears throat> So for those who haven't heard the show before, let me explain it to you. Uh, Attack of the Killer podcast is a horror movie podcast where a group of friends get together, talk about one thing that they all have in common, and that is a love for horror movies. Each episode, we pick a topic and talk about films within that topic. Now, it's an open and free discussion, so there may be spoilers. Just to warn you. Heads up. So... Before we get into things, a few uh, housekeeping notes before we do get started. Randomly throughout the show, I will be interrupting the discussion for some trivia. That's right. So you so, have to pay attention a little bit. Yeah. Stay awake, please. <laughs> when that time comes, uh, now you must raise your hand for, to, to answer. Now we are going to randomly pick people to, to answer the question. So if you raise your hand first, that doesn't matter. We're just going to randomly pick people. So don't get butt hurt if you raise your hand and I raise my hand first. I don't care. <clears throat> okay. So, so there's that. Uh, and the winners of the trivia is going to get various fabulous prizes. So for and those of you that are listening at home to this episode and you didn't come to the live show, I bet you're hating your life right now, aren't you? Next, I want to talk about the fact that uh, this, is a li this live show wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for our amazing Patreon donators. I know what you're saying. Attack of the Killer podcast has a Patreon? What? We do! It's true. I know what else you're saying. How can I be one of the cool kids and donate as well? Well, calm down already, and I'll tell you. You can go to patreon.com backslash AOTKP. Uh, when you're there, you can choose the level that is best for you. 
And each level has different perks for donating, such as getting shout-outs on the show, exclusive videos, bonus episodes, getting to suggest commentary episode that we do for the show, and so on. So the money from donating goes back into the show and lets us do more cool things, such as live shows like this. So again, that's patreon.com backslash AOTKP. It seems like the more I talk about Patreon on this show, the m more difficult it gets for me to d say the Patreon site of backslash AOTKP. Those five letters. It mess are your it's starting to mess me up, man. I mean, the first time doing it, it was like, ah. I got it, but not so much anymore. Now, I hate to break it to you, but I can't do this show by myself. <laughs> He's tried, believe <laughs> me. <laughs> that means it is now time to introduce you to our podcast crew. He sat on a magical hammer, and now his ass is a little Thor. Tad good, everybody. Thor. That's me. He once thought Christian Bale was what you'd call Batman when he skipped church. Brian Clark. <laughs> meat. I'll send you a nice box of Christmas meat. Her superhero identity is the librarian. She catches criminals and then books them. Terry Turford, everybody. Hello. Oh, my goodness. Hey, can we hear you? Hello. All right, there you go. Biff, pow, boom, snit, baff. Those are not comic book sound effects. Those are the noises he makes in the bathroom. Jason Bollinger. That's the truth. Thank you. Hi, everybody. How you guys doing? Good. good. Have you uh, all had a good time today in the uh, fabulous city of Des Moines? Oh, yeah. Spent yep. way too much money at Jay's. That's right. Yep. <laughs> Me too. But Me come too. spend your money at Cape's Cafe. Yes. Also yes. spending remaining money <laughs> at Cape's. <laughs> <laughs> so... We usually, we've got different segments we do on the show. So um, one of our newer segments is uh, called, uh, What Have We Been Watching? Yeah, so um, basically this segment, we just ask each other, what we've watched recently that's not part of the podcast. So I will start with Brian. What have you watched? I went to see Rampage with the kids, and it was fantastic. If you want a big, dumb, goofy monster movie, it delivers in spades. Got some uh, good humor from a giant monkey making lewd gestures at the rock. <laughs> Got some cool monster designs, a lot of city smashing. And I've also been watching a shitload of Night Gallery on Hulu. Oh, sweet. It's on Hulu? Yep, well, oh, just the sweet. second and third season, but yeah. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I've been debating on Rampage, you know. Don't debate, go see it. Okay. Well, <laughs> let me ask you this, because it's one I want to take my son to. Is it kind of Do you, will he have a problem with a giant monkey making lewd gestures at the rock? Well, no, because he usually sees me making lewd gestures at the rock, so well, then I don't you'll think be fine. different. Okay. All right, cool, cool. I saw, I saw Rampage, too. Um, I will say that... I sort of judge a movie by um, like how it sticks with me, and then the following morning, I was remembering that I went to the theater the night before, and I couldn't remember what I saw. And That's I'm like, just because you hate oh, fun. No, I don't hate but fun. I wish it was more fun, because it uh, took itself way too seriously for a movie where they have a giant wolf named Ralph. It's... 
Yes, because the the scene where the thirty uh, foot tall gorilla flips off the rock and then makes the universal hand gesture for having sex was clearly deep Shakespearean drama. No, that that's the more of the humor I wanted. I wanted more um, giant ape uh, sign language, I guess. Any giant ape throwing feces? Sadly, no. Uh. But there, yeah. The spoiler: the wolf flies. If you haven't seen the trailer, he they uh, make that one liner from The Rock. He's like, of course, the wolf has wings, and yeah, that's probably as bad as it gets. And it's just the three giant monsters, right? That is correct. Well, there there is a fourth monster at the very beginning, but it's not part of the main story. Okay. Well, I mean, if this movie's successful, maybe there'll be sequels and stuff, but I was really hoping, because in that game, man, there was like, what, eight or something like that you could choose from? Yeah, I don't know. In, in the original game, it was just the three, but I, I think oh. in later games, they expanded it. Oh, okay. So, yeah, maybe Rampage 2, Electric Boogaloo, we'll get, you know, the uh, giant <laughs> octopus octopus monster, too. <laughs> octopus. <laughs> octopus. All right, uh, Jason, what did you see? Well, uh, when I... I... Uh, where do I start? I um, I used to watch professional wrestling when I was a little kid. I don't anymore since I grown up, but it was something me and my dad always used to do um, growing up. I know a lot of grown-ass men now that are still like way way into it and stuff. And yeah, because that we're all about growing out of things that no, we no. loved as kids here. No, on I know, show. but <laughs> I just mean I know, I know. Where is this going? Uh, so, HBO uh, put out this last week a documentary about Andre the Giant. Oh, yeah. I don't care if you were into wrestling or not. That doc is awesome. That doc is amazing. I bawled my eyes out three or four times. It was, it was super, super good. It was really good, and I just wanted to tell everybody about it. I was really excited about it, and it's really, really good. Awesome. You know, uh, insight to it or anything? It just go see it? it. You don't it, want to yeah, spoil it? it? No. Well, it's, it does everything. Does it's, he die at the end? No. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> is he really big? It, uh, he get, is he a but giant? He do, but he doesn't start out a giant. And there's like some really, really amazing old footage and pictures that, that show him, you know, my size. And like... As a little when giant. When like third, third grade. Yeah, third grade. No, but um, yeah, there's some great old, some just the amount of old footage from early, early wrestling and, and him coming to the States and developing this character. And then they have all the stars on there from Hogan and Vince McMahon on down and every single one of them lose their shit at some point when they're talking about him and it's, it's damn good. I was actually talking about it last night with my friend Noah, and uh, he was disappointed they cut out the part of um, Andre the Giant's life where he went to like Japan and the bathrooms weren't big enough to hold him, so he would just poop in the comforters and they'd throw them away and they, bring him new ones. They, they talked about. <laughs> I can't believe they they cut that out. That's well, some they, interesting stuff. They talk about when he flies on planes that they would just oh, have his, to. His farts would almost take down the planes. Well, no, that they. <laughs> He couldn't fit in the bathroom, so they would just blanket off the area, and they just have a bucket for him, and that's how he had to go. It was the only way he could go. Similar to uh, Tor Johnson from Plan 9 from Outer Space, he used to steal toilet seats from hotel rooms because he would break them all the time with his giant ass, <laughs> and it was cheaper than buying replacements. <laughs> well, um, 
Terry, did you see anything without a pro wrestler this week? Uh, yeah, that's two for two on pro wrestling. Yes. I mean, I, I haven't really watched too many since the last time we recorded. I don't think I really watched any new horror movies other than our topic movies. Um, but I have been watching Ash vs. Evil Dead, which is sadly now canceled. Why do you have to bring that up? Aww. I know. Sad face. For those of you who haven't heard yet, they are canceling Ash vs. Evil Dead after this season. So. I think we all knew it was going to happen. It's Ted's I mean, friend's I, I figured, fault. Blake, but. if you're listening, it's your fault. <laughs> Blake illegally downloads movies and TV shows, so um, we should all turn him in. I hate you, Blake. And you won't listen to this anyways. It probably also didn't help that they wrote the exact same plot beats into every You'd single season. You be quiet. Season. It's brilliant. It's, it's a great it. show. It's fun, yeah. I'm not saying I don't like it. They should have just stretched a little more. <laughs> they brought a kid in. That's pretty neat and cool, right? Yeah, when that kid... Like, comes inside the woman and his little head pops up through the neck hole. It's freaking hilarious, man. We need more of that in television. And then Ash fought his evil double for the third time in three seasons. I'm not going to complain about more Bruce Campbell, though. See? So. That's See? a good point. That's a really good point. <laughs> yeah, so Mike, what did you see? All right, well, I know we talked about it on uh, the last episode. So I won't go too much into it. Thank you. But I probably will anyway. Because <laughs> um, it's fine. But basically, I'm saying go back and listen to the last episode to uh, get the full story. But I finally got around to watching A Quiet Place. Hell um, yes. You know, about damn time, too. Like, um, and I loved it. Uh, it it's going to take something spectacular to uh, not, for it not to be my number one movie of this year. So I'm calling it now, so you guys can all call bullshit when we do our year-end episode. But The mall we were in earlier had a theater that served beer, and I told Terry we should just skip coming to the podcast and go see the movie instead. <laughs> so we almost went to see A Quiet Place and had drinks. You know, you I, and I almost, hadn't, I almost wouldn't blame you. Almost. <laughs> wouldn't have been too Either upset. of you guys have seen it yet? Nope. No, I haven't Come seen on. it. Come on. Oh, really? Oh, fuck. My kids were sick all last week. I was going to take them, but I didn't want them coughing through it. That's it, probably the best choice. Everything they say is true. You, you need absolute silence when we're watching a movie. So, like, the guys who wrote um, the movie... Uh, Scott Beck and Brian Woods. Yeah, Scott Beck and Brian Woods. Um, they're old film friends of ours from back in the day. We've worked on a few of their projects. They worked on a few of ours. And um, so I'm sitting there and I'm watching the credits and I turn to Jason and I'm like, I don't know who I'm more proud of, Scott and Brian for this movie or for Jason who yelled at the the uh, girl behind us that were was whispering her to her boyfriend through the whole first hour of the movie. It's awesome. I had enough. He told her to shut the fuck up. So I, cool. didn't, I didn't say those words. Then he punched her in the no. face. You should have, because I say those words in the theater all the time. <laughs> now, he was her, nice about it. to he, please quit talking. Yep. That, did she stop talking? She did. And she did. Oh, that worked. It did. Yeah. Were you polite about it? Or did you, was, you mean you don't have to cuss at them I to get them to shut polite. up? It helps when you're yeah. 12 feet tall. <laughs> well, I'm not, so I have to cuss. Plus, yeah. it's more fun. It is but more. it's the thing of, like, if it was any other movie, we probably wouldn't even have heard her, because she was whispering. Totally. 
She was whispering. But it was but such this a movie, quiet place. Exactly. <laughs> and I swear you could hear her through the whole entire theater. So it is important. It's important you see this movie in a theater, but go like towards the end of its run where like nobody else is going to be in the theater but you. Because you need that silence. She was being silence. stupid, though. She would oh, like she was ask him every question of everything that was happening. Like, oh, I wonder why they did that. They should turn it up. Why should is it so fuck? quiet? Oh. Why are they using uh, sign language? Why did, why did this just happen? I don't know. I'm watching the fucking movie, too. How am I supposed to know? I always wonder what people are discussing. Like, we're three minutes into the movie. What could you possibly be asking? We've seen the credits. Like, what's that? who's that guy? Who's that guy? That's the shit she was saying to her friend. It was... <laughs> Dumb. We had like I've already talked about this, and we had the most archaic dude in front of us. Um, I won't <laughs> rant about him because I'll get angry again. But um, we can talk about. Yeah, I definitely want to see it again without him some t- at some point because <laughs> he did not understand it should be a quiet place. But you still got to bring Nikki so she can, yeah. if, if she has to. Yeah. She can put the foot down. Yeah. So the thing about this movie, um, just on a scale of the importance of this movie for me is that, you know, two, two friends of mine wrote it and just going to just open the doors up for them. So happy and proud, proud for them. But also I think it's another crowning achievement for us horror fans of having another number one movie at the box. This movie kicked Steven Spielberg's butt out of the number one spot. Who, who does that? Nobody. You know, Stephen. You know, sure as hell wasn't Pacific Rim. If you move the letters around in Hollywood and change a few letters, it spells Steven Spielberg. So he owns that place, and the fact that this 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 horror movie from out of nowhere takes the number one spot. This original story horror film. Mm-hmm. I saw Joe Lynch sort of. Uh, I think he tweeted congratulations to them, and he's like. Uh, in two weeks when you're sued for stealing the story from um, an unknown writer, you'll know you finally made it. So it's like, no you know, any t- anytime somebody sees um, a big flash of success, there's always a lawsuit coming of like, you stole this story from me. So we'll the see. The weird thing is he stole the story, or they stole the story from a movie about a uh, aquarium keeper who falls in love with a dolphin. Oh, <laughs> let's not go there. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you can tell it's written by two Iowa boys, too. It's all on a farm and everything. Well, you can't spoil too much. Oh, I'm not going to say anything else. (laughs) But it is. It's on a farm, and it's quiet. Yeah, it's like Iowa. It's great. So what about you? What about you, Ted? I haven't haven't really watched anything um, new in horror, but I revisited one of my favorite films last Friday because it was a special holiday, Friday the 13th. And... um, I volunteer at a local nonprofit theater in Burlington, so I have keys to that theater, and it was not being used on Friday the 13th, which was a shame, so I let myself in to watch a movie on a giant screen. Oh, and you we watched, uh, yeah, Friday the 13th, the final chapter, and I don't know, I go back and forth on if that one's my favorite, but um, to me, it's like the quintessential Friday the 13th movie because it has Corey Feldman, has, you know, the hockey match, it has everything about it. Like, it's, it's, it's not humorous like some of the other ones, which it's okay, but um, I don't know. To me, that's like the f- perfect Friday the 13th film. It has everything I want. Yeah, the peak. Uh, I love all of them, but to me, that is the best. It has every th- all the ingredients I love in a Friday the 13th film all in one. To me, that's the quintessential Friday the 13th film, so I had to pop it in. I've seen 
almost, I'm sort of trying to see all of them in the, on the big screen one at a time. So we have another one coming up in July, another Friday 13th really? this year. And um, I'm thinking I can convince the theater to actually like invite us this time. Oh, to unlock the doors and let other people come in. So um, I'm I'm shooting for part three in 3D. So oh Ooh. shit! All right, can you get them to bring Garage House Pictures in with their 3D print? Because that is amazing. Pro- we no, because we don't have uh, 35 millimeter or uh, whatever that we don't have a film projector. We're digital. But I played at my birthday maybe five or six years ago. Part three in 3D. And uh, ordered like bulk 3D glasses off Amazon, and it was awesome. It it actually looked very good for you know the for what it was. It was a lot of fun. That's I mean, awesome. yeah, it's it's not fantastic, but it's it's a lot of fun. So I'm hoping to do that in July. What are all your guys' favorite Friday Thirteenth? Go. Well, I was gonna ask real quick because you say you go back and forth. What's the, what's the other contender for first before you? Oh man, um, I really like two. Um, probably that, and then six. Jason lives because it's it's another one that has all the elements too. But it's it's a little has a little humor, so it depends on my mood. That one's not as mean spirited as part four, but um, two is two is straight up horror, and the the uh, sack mask is always creepy too. I don't know. I, I love the score to that one. I'd say. And I have a soft spot for Seven, too, because I grew up watching it as a kid. I, you know, Zombie Jason and against Carrie, it was so so bad but so good. So I, it changes all the time. So That's why I was wondering, because like, I go back and forth as well between six and four. And I think I finally came to a realization a year or two ago where I, I just have to settle on one. And I, and I think based on number of viewings, I'm going to go with six as my favorite. Because um, for me, I like the fact that it's got the humor in it, but mm-hmm. it's not at the expense of Jason. So that's where I think horror and comedy can can have a good blend if you're not poking fun at your your horror element. So um, <clears throat> so yeah, I I usually go with six, and I do have a love for seven too. That's the first one I ever saw in the theater. So nice. How about you guys? Well, normally I would say. Freddy versus Jason oh, right. because yep. it has Freddy and Freddy's better. But whatever. Um, <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> um, six is uh, Jason Lives, right? Yeah. yeah. We did a commentary track on that one a while back, and I think that might be my favorite. I really, yes. really enjoyed that yeah. one. I, I always liked four a lot, but yeah. I think six is my favorite. Six doesn't have Corey Feldman, just, though. So. What? There's no Corey Feldman in part six. True. No, but. I'm going to say it, man. Tom Matthews is the best Tommy Jarvis. Nah. Or Sweet, he's Sweet Dancing, Jarvis, like so in he's four. He's not the best. The Crispin Glover the best. dancing. <laughs> well, we'll let the video game decide. Oh, wait. Tom Matthews was Tommy Jarvis for the video game. Yeah, because he probably gave them his rights much cheaper than Corey Feldman would. <laughs> Anyways, Brian, what's your favorite Friday the 13th movie? Part 7. Nice. It's nice. New, it's, new it's, blood. I love the fact that it does something different. It's not just the same old formula. They decided to shake things up. I don't care that it's weird. I don't care that there's stuff in that doesn't make sense because there's stuff in all of them that doesn't make sense. Well, it's, that logic. And the I'm John surprised. Carl Beekler makeup of Jason in that one is by yeah. far the best appearance of Jason ever. Oh yeah, that's my favorite. So, look. Using yeah. that logic, I'm surprised you don't love uh, Jason Goes to Hell because that one. Is, I I they also absolutely love Jason mix Goes that down. one up. Yeah. That, yeah. 
I can't that, believe that one ever got made. That if if I had to say there was a contender, like that would be my second favorite, or they vie for the top spot because I, I don't know who you are love anymore. Jason goes to hell. <laughs> Jason goes to hell is my least favorite, but you're if you're you know basing some of this on um, leaps in logic, I'm gonna say part eight is the worst one for leaps of logic. There, there's a fellow in the audience that could write you a whole essay on that. <laughs> Speaking of the audience, let's pull the audience really quick on what their favorite Friday the 13th was. Let's go around the room. Matt Foy. I'm already on record to say now that Jason goes to hell if we're not counting Freddy versus Jason. Jason goes to hell. Jason goes yeah, to hell. I, I, I think it has the best pace. Best pace. There's a third Okay. Turnip. Jason X. There's nothing sacrilegious about that. Todd Man, Farmer. I love that movie, too. Luane? I gotta go with one and X. One, because it's the original, and X, because it's basically a parody. Yeah. One and oh, yeah. X. One, one and X. X. New Matt. Yeah, I was gonna say X as well. X. Number Ooh, 10. I love her X. It's awesome. Oh, that oh, theme yeah. song is the best <laughs> piece of music I've ever heard. It might be. Nikki, what would you say yours Nikki? is? Three, okay. she three. says. It, it's funny when you watch that one without the 3D, because like the yo-yo's coming <laughs> out the screen and all yeah. stuff, and it's like, it's even more obvious that those things were just filmed as gimmicks, but uh, even in 3D, it's, it's like, man, they really forced that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't have time for the other hundred of you, so let's uh, probably... Uh. <laughs> Move on to. <laughs> okay, so we Calm should. Calm down, people. <laughs> Just the front row, I'm sorry. So we should probably get into uh, the topic at hand, and that is comic book related horror movies. So we usually uh, kind of come up with like a small list that we all see um, of movies within the topic and talk about it. So who wants to start us Do we have off? any comic book nerds on the stage? Yeah, I'm a comic book nerd. <laughs> There's two for sure. But this was a sweet, sweet idea for you two. <laughs> I'm like the opposite. This is the most like comic books I've seen. Like right now, I'm being exposed to more Your comic view? books than I've ever read. Just reading the cover of that one, that's that's more. the most I've gotten so far. <laughs> so well, let's talk about Vault of Horror. How about that? All right, Vault of Horror. And before we do that, it's trivia time already. Wow, trivia time. Okay, so I came up with these trivia questions, so you can blame me. Um, what the hell are they? Oh, there they are. On the very front page. Okay, so uh, with Vault of Horror, it's uh, based off of an old EC comic book. Um, so it's an anthology film. And uh, EC Comics also did like Tales from the Crypt and Shock and Suspense. All the segments in Vault of Horror are actually stories from the comics. Ironically, none of the stories were actually ever featured in Vault of Horror. They were featured in Tales from the Crypt and Shock and Suspense. So I'm going to name the uh, segment, and you have to tell me uh, which comic it's from. Is it Tales from the Crypt or Shock and Suspense? And the issue number. Okay. Uh, First I'm one to raise, to raise your, your hand. hand. I'm glad I'm not out there. <clears throat> so the first one, um, Midnight Mess. Oh, so many hands. Okay, one at a time, folks. 
All right. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let me try to make this a little easier then. So well, let's just go with which, which comic book was it from. Okay, so you have a 50-50 shot here. Tales from the Crypt or Shock and Suspense? We got some sweet prizes. You have a 50-50 chance. Just yell one or the other, please. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It wasn't Shock and Suspense. I'll teach you to speak up. <laughs> Can you get a prize just for speaking up? Thank you. I'm going to be pedantic comic nerd here. It's probably throwing them because it shocks suspense stories. Well, whatever. That's what threw them off. Yeah. Yes, okay, shock suspense stories. Okay. So the next one, we won't do the issue number. We'll, we'll move on. Okay, so the next one, the neat job. Is it from Tales from the Crypt or shock suspense stories? No, I'm sorry. Shock suspense story. <laughs> I love this game. The next one. This treat will kill ya. Was it Tales from the Crypt or Shock Suspense Stories? Tales from the Crypt. Yes. Congratulations. You get you get a copy of Sharknado on DVD. Lucky. With my feet print on it because I keep Please stepping take on it. them while they're under my chair. <laughs> That makes it more Featuring valuable. Featuring Justin Beam. It's true. Iowa, it's pictures Iowa on the back legend. of the box. Yeah, yeah it's pictures. Oh on no, there. I lost it's my crazy. trivia. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Next one. <laughs> Bargain and Death. Is it from Tales from the Crypt or Shock and Suspense? They, now they know what the prizes are. They don't even want to guess. <laughs> like, I don't want to have to carry a Sharknado DVD. <laughs> I don't want to be seen in public with a Sharknado DVD. <laughs> Nikki says Tales from the Crypt. Tales from the Crypt is correct. We have a winner. No, you, Do you guys get a, have copy a copy of Sharknado. Of Sharknado. We don't. Oh, we well, then you get a copy of Sharknado. <laughs> Lucky. That's DVD. Good movie to That's take quality. a nap to. Congratulations. Don't spend it all in one place. Okay, lastly, Drawn and Quartered. Is it from Shock Suspense Stories or Tales from the Crypt? Matt? Matt. No, I'm sorry. Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> so out of all those, the five segments in the film, um, the neat job was the only one that was from Shock Suspense Stories. All the rest were Tales from the Crypt. So. That was mean trick to pull on the ground. It was, but I had fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell us about Vault of Horror, Brian. <laughs> all right, well, it's an anthology movie taking the title from Vault of Horror, but obviously not the stories. Um, the first one is uh, the yeah Midnight Mess is not... Oh, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the one with the, the vampire story. Yeah. This guy uh, goes to kill his sister for uh, insurance money, or no, to get inheritance. That's right, their father died, and he wants all the inheritance. And uh, he goes to this village to kill her, and it turns out the entire village are vampires with the most ridiculous goddamn vampire teeth I have ever seen in a movie <laughs> Crazy ever. town. And they kill him and drink its blood, and it's very, very knowingly campy and silly oh, yeah. and fun. Um, the neat job is about a guy who is like a total neat freak and marries this kind of trophy wife woman who all he wants from her is to keep his house neat and she she does a really good job of it for a while like she 
you know, puts her back into it, really tries, makes the house perfect, and then just an absolute avalanche of calamity befalls her one afternoon, knocking things over on the rug and, and breaking stuff. Can't catch and a break. Fall she blows it. And he comes home and, and just freaks out. And, and she spends the whole day trying to pick it all up, and she's very concerned. And he comes home and just immediately starts ragging on her for it. And uh, she ends up killing him out of pure frustration. And then uh, taking his body apart piece by piece and putting them in neatly labeled jars. <laughs> and it's wonderful. Um, this Trick Will Kill You is about a, a magician who is traveling India and sees a woman who has one of those uh, ropes that magically rise into the air that then they can climb up into the sky like the fakirs used to do. And uh, he tries to get the secret of it from her, and she won't give it to him, so he kills her, and then the rope takes its evil magical revenge. Um, Bargain and Death is about uh, a couple of med students trying to get a, a corpse to work on after hours, and things go badly. <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a fairly shocking kill at the end of it with a guy getting stabbed yeah. in the head with a pole. And then uh, Drawn and Quartered is starring the great Tom Baker, the fourth <laughs> doctor. And with doctor a big who, beard. Oh. <laughs> and uh, he, he is a painter who uh, learns that his agent and uh, the gallery owner who has been displaying his works have, have wronged him. And so he buys voodoo to take his revenge and uh, it turns out that he can, whatever he paints, if something happens to that painting, it will happen to the subject in real life. And uh, there, there's a terrible accident with a bottle of turpentine. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> now, I love this movie. Yeah, this I mean, is I far and away my favorite on the list, especially since I've been on such a night gallery kick lately. Like, 70s anthology horror has just been on my brain anyway, so watching this, I don't know why I'd never seen this before. Oh, this was your first time? Yeah, that's oh, the only one on the list awesome. I hadn't seen before, and it turned out to be absolutely my favorite. But Now, this was from Amicus Pictures, Yep, who was a, a British production company in the 60s, 70s, early 80s. I think they lasted that long. You can yeah, like possible. look at one screen cap and instantly know it's a British production. It just has that look. Yeah. And those teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and... The majority of their stuff were anthology. They did a lot of anthology films. They also so. did a lot of movies involving Doug McClure punching cavemen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. What, what's the name of that movie? Uh, Land the Time Forgot at the Earth's Core. Uh, the Earth's Core was the one I was God. thinking of, yeah. Awesome. Warlords of Atlantis. That one's awesome, too. Although that doesn't have cavemen, just sea monsters. Uh, it was directed by Roy Ward Baker, who did a lot of stuff for Amicus. I think Hammer, because isn't Vampire yeah. Lovers and Scars of Dracula and Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, those are, um, those are Hammers. Yeah. Yep, okay. those are all Hammer. So, but then he did Asylum and uh, Now the Screaming Starts, which are, those are both Amicus films. Yeah, they tended to share a lot of talent back and forth between the two studios. I mean, Peter Cushing did a lot. If Peter Cushing wasn't working at Amicus, or it wasn't working at Hammer, he was at Amicus. Uh, a lot of directors and screenwriters bounced back and forth. A lot of the stars were the similar. Oh, and he also did um, Monster Club. Have you ever seen that one? I have not. I don't remember anything about it. I rented it back in the day when I, when I was in high school. I don't remember much about it. Um, it's another anthology film. Uh, the only thing I can remember... Like the wraparound in this takes place in this like 
disco-y nightclub, but all the patrons are monsters. And it's got some of the worst looking like <laughs> men just wearing rubber masks, pretending to be real monsters kind of thing I've ever seen in a movie ever. So it's, it's definitely a little budget. And I don't remember any of the... Uh, any of the stories from the anthology, but the the wraparound always stood out for me. But I think that one's got like, I think it's got Vincent Price in it and a couple of the other classic guys. Meter maybe Peter Cushing. Oh, I know it's got Donald Pleasance in it. Yeah, I remember he's in that one. So, and I think that was like one of the that one was like 1980 or 81 or something that like that. So one of, if not the very last thing. They yes. Did. Yeah. Uh, a couple of the other notable people in it, uh, Terry Thomas, the gap-toothed guy, uh, Critchett, in uh, The Neat Job. He had a 50-some year film and TV career, and presumably lots on stage as well. Uh, he was in both Dr. Fibes movies. He was in Danger Diabolic. And he was Sir Hiss in the animated Disney Robin Hood. Oh, nice. Okay. Cool, cool. For some reason, I see him, and I want to think his name is Nigel. I don't know. I just assume that every time I look at a British person. <laughs> they I figure, all look That's like Nigel. Nigel yeah. <laughs> um, and then, of course, the mighty Tom Baker as... Uh, Who? Who? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. As, as Moore in, in the, uh, as the painter. Uh, originally for that role, they were considering Michael Jaston, who later played the Valiard in the 1986 Trial of a Time Lord season of Doctor Who. So they swapped one potential Doctor Who for another for that role. Oh, I thought that's when Mike and I combined forces into like a giant robot. No, that's Voltron. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which I did start watching, by the way. I forgot to tell you about that. Good. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Killed that. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I think my favorite one was the Neat Freak one. The OCD one. Yeah, is it just me or is that the a Jordy Viral story version, you know. Oh it's yeah. Like, yeah. That's the comic relief one of the mm -hmm. of the anthology. It's pretty funny when she when everything just start turns into a Rue Goldberg <laughs> mess of disaster for her trying to keep the house neat. Yeah. <laughs> well, wh who what was your favorite from it, Brian? Oh, uh, probably the the Tom Baker one. The I forget the names of the segments again. Well, you got them written down. The art, the painting one. Yeah. Drawn and quartered. Drawn and quartered, yes. That was my favorite one. That one's my favorite, too. I love Tom Baker. Yeah. I think that was my favorite, too. And, like, this... So this movie, as far as writing credits go, it gives the writing credits to um, uh, Alf, Alf, Al Felstein and William Gaines, the, uh, not the guys... Alf the, not Alf the... <laughs> Huh? Alien. It's not Alf. Not the cat. Not Alf. Oh, okay. I thought he was going to say Alfred E. Newman. Al. Like that's the wrong magazine. Okay. Al Feldstone. But close. <laughs> um, they were the they were the the writers and artists and you know uh, the guys behind EC Comics, and I could not find any information whatsoever. But I could swear those paintings was um, Al Feldstein's art. But I couldn't find any confirmation on that. It just looked really similar to me. That that I couldn't tell you. But yeah, that was my favorite. Jason, what about you? What was yep, your favorite? Me too. That's mine. Oh, okay. And cool. Because <laughs> so I I'm like. I'm all alone. <laughs> yeah. We... Yeah. What's wrong with you? Well, neat You're job wrong. is great too. That's probably my second favorite one. I just love how completely campy, over the top it is. <laughs> what I like about it is that there's just um, there's so many short stories packed in here that they go by quick the movie feels like it goes really sh it, it's really short but it's not it's just like you know 
bam, 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 one after another. It, I love it. I love it. its pace, everything. It's like mm-hmm. it's such an easy watch. That's where I think, and this is probably going to be blasphemy, and I probably shouldn't be sitting by you when I say it, but Uh-oh. I think that's where, like, I think I'm starting to swing more towards Amicus than Hammer, because they do these anthologies, and the pacing feels so much faster than, like, a Hammer film where, I'm sorry, I love Hammer films, but some of that shit just drags on. <laughs> yeah, I... You say that because you're sitting next to me, but you also, you're forgetting how much I love dinosaurs. And <laughs> oh, on, yeah. on actually, I think on the strength of their dinosaur movies, like Hammer stuff is clearly higher quality. There is no question about that. Yeah. But Land That Time Forgot is one of my favorite 70s weirdo okay. movies right. ever. So yeah, I, I think just based on the strength of the Doug McClure punching dinosaurs movies, I would have to go with Amicus <laughs> as well. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I, just know I, this I like this one so much that I then went and watched Tales from the Crypt uh, a couple of nights ago, and that one is not nearly as good as this. Like, no, I think the I'm stories follow almost all the exact same vein of greedy douchebag gets their comeuppance kind of vibe. Like, there's not as much variety in the stories, there's no comedic one to break things up. Yeah. It's just way too much the same thing over and over again, whereas Vault of Horror has a lot of good variety. Well, that was like the majority of the stories from the comics. It was always like, right. you know, some some D-bag getting his comeuppance, you know, in weird and supernatural ways, in ironic ways a lot of times too. So, you know, um, but, you know, but Tales from the Crypt came before Vault of Horror. So... But I, I think I agree with you. I think I like Vault of Horror better. In fact, in one of the segments, in the uh, the um, grave robbing episode in Vault of Horror, one of the characters is seen reading the novelization of the Tales yeah. from the Crypt movie. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, I mean, but like, Tales from the Crypt is a little bit more, I think, a little more well known as far as those goes, and it probably has a lot to do with you know later on getting. You know, the HBO series and everything. Right. So it's got um, a little more, like, iconic stories. Because that Santa Claus story in um, Tales from the Crypt, you know, that came from the comic. It was in the original movie. And then they, it was, like, the first episode of the TV series. So. <clears throat> um, oh, go ahead. I thought you were going to say something. Jason, were you, you were about to say something? I, I just know that I messed up when I started watching this film. I don't know if it was too early in the morning. or t- I can't remember, but, like... I missed, I don't, I just missed the part where I went from the dudes starting to talk to each other to the first story. Oh, the wraparound into the first yeah. story. Yeah, I it missed was, that. This, uh, yeah. And I'm like, so then so we're into going the first on? story. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> and like, I'm like, it took almost to the second story to like, because oh. I just, I just thought the story was still going, and I'm like, who's this? Girl? And I was just like. Yeah, and that's another thing I like about both of those movies, Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror, is the wraparound. We didn't get into the wraparound too much, but basically these uh, five guys get on this elevator and they end up in this, you know, basement somewhere. Is it like a sub basement? They think they, they, they like can't get it back. Yeah. Yeah. So they just kind of hang out and tell stories about these like nightmares that they're having until it gets to the end when they realize. It was all their deaths and they're in purgatory or whatever. Yeah, that that's their fate is to just sit there and tell each other these stories every night until they figure out what's going on and walk out again. Yeah. So I like that wraparound idea a lot. Um, 
But it was essentially almost the exact same thing in Tales from the Crypt. Right, except that they did actually have the Crypt Keeper. There, you know, who yes, who in Tales from the Crypt, that Crypt Keeper was just an old, like there was no makeup involved at all. It was just an old guy in a robe, mm-hmm. which made him look a little more like the Vault Keeper actually than the Crypt Keeper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd have to say my least favorite one was of of it was the first one that. Uh, what was it called again? The one with the vampires, um, Midnight Ma- Midnight Mess. I don't know, because like for these type of stories from these comics, I'm always looking for that like ironic twist that they always have, and it just didn't seem like that one was well written. It didn't no. really have that that moment for me. So structurally, it was probably the weakest. My least favorite was actually the uh, the. Bargain of bargain and death, or the grave robber one. Oh, just because yeah. it didn't have like the the midnight mess one was not as good, but it was fun because it was just so damn silly. <laughs> sure. Well, that that um that grave robbing one, I think that was the longest one out of all of them too. Yeah, it felt like it went on a little more yeah. than it needed to. Yeah, I didn't mind that one so much though because like. I mean, when he when he explains his plan that he's gonna lower his heartbeat to the point where people are gonna think he's dead, and he's gonna get buried without being embalmed, and then his friend comes back and dings him up so they can claim the insurance money. I'm like, that's the worst freaking plan ever. And he's even talking about how he's gonna like betray his friend when um, he gets dug up. And I'm thinking the whole time is like. How do you know this this a hole's not going to betray you and just leave you buried, which is what the plan was. <laughs> so, but there was an there was a uh, Alfred Hitchcock presents like the '80s version that kind of had that same theme, and I remember seeing that as a kid, and that freaked me the hell out. But th- that one was with this uh, this guy in prison who comes up with this plan of escaping by faking his death. And, you know, he became buddies with the, uh, the I guess, the coroner or whatever, the guy in charge of taking the, the bodies from the prison and burying them. Um, he, be, he became buddy-buddies with this guy, and they made a deal that he would come back and dig him up. So, like, almost the, half of the episode is this guy buried in this box and reflecting on the whole story. And he's like, you know, when's he coming? When's he coming? He should have been here by now. And he lights the match and looks over and like the guy dead in the box with him is the guy that was supposed to dig him up. I've heard of that. So probably from that guy, the, uh, once again, the, the fellow in the audience there is the Alfred Hitchcock presents expert. Oh, wow. So the moral of the story, kids, is if you plan on scamming for insurance, don't, don't uh, pretend to die and like, get buried alive. It's never going to work never out. Never get buried alive in general. Just don't do it. There's no good... Well, there's probably some... No. Okay. Nope. <laughs> nope. So um, the movie as a whole, what were your, what were your thoughts on it, Terry? I enjoyed it. This is the second time I'd watched it. I think we discussed it briefly for our anthology episode a long time ago. But, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I like the pacing of it, and the stories are mostly good. Cool. 
Ted, what'd you think? One and a half severed thumbs up. <laughs> Is that your new rating out system? Out of two? Oh, okay. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah, oh. out of two. <laughs> Only had two thumbs. Not perfect, but it was good. Cool. All right. Jason? Yep, same thing. Like, uh, it was good. It was fun. I like the premise of it all. It's, you know, the wraparound story, I think, is great in general. And once I figured out what the hell was going on, <laughs> it was pretty good. Sweet. Sweet. So that's Vault of Horror. Um, who wants to take the next one? Dark Man. Dark Man. Oh, it's trivia time! <laughs> <laughs> oh, these just randomly pop up. I don't know the rhyme or reason for it. Okay, so... Is there what? Pink, pink elephant. No, no pink elephant. Um, okay, so Dark Man, directed by Sam Raimi. So, uh, who's also well known for doing the Evil Dead series. Never heard of him. And there are several people in the cast and crew uh, from Evil Dead that also worked on Dark Man. Who can name at least four people that, was, that also worked on Evil Dead that was in Dark Man? Or three people. Just give them a second to think. Oh, okay. Gosh. Uh-huh, there's that four, one. That one guy. Four people. I'll give you a hint. There's actually one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people who worked on both films. Who always works with Raimi? It's true. A lot of these guys... Just throw names out that, that are associated <laughs> with a Raimi. Yes, Ted Raimi is we one. We got one. We got one. So we got one. Anybody else? He's so young and cute in it, though, right? He's adorable. So cute. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> any, any others? No? Danny Hicks. Danny Hicks is another Danny one. Danny Hicks makes it in there. Now it starts getting a little bit tougher. I wouldn't say so. There's two well, names on there that I always associate with with Sam Raimi. Well, there, there's one on this list that I remember when he popped up in the movie, even though this is the whole performance. <laughs> yeah. That I stood up and cheered in the theater when that happened. What's that? Bruce, yeah, Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell. Last uh, shot of credited the as um, oh, well, final shimp. That's what his credit was yep. in the movie. Final shimp. Okay, so we got three. Any others? There's four more. I know. Okay, well, Scott Spiegel worked on, uh, or he was in the movie. He was one of the dock workers in the beginning of Dark Man, I believe. And he is one of the writers and a fake shimp for Evil Dead 2. Josh Becker uh, was, I think, also one of the dock workers in the beginning of the movie. And he was a fake shimp in Evil Dead 2. Tony Gardner um, was the That's makeup genius. special effects artist for Dark Man, and he was also on the effects team for Evil Dead 2. And the guy that Sam Raimi always works with, uh, Robert Tappert, um, one, of his, one of his lifelong producer, was also the producer on Evil Dead 2 and was um, an airport worker in the airport scene on Evil Dead 2. So there you go. There's all seven. Good job. Good job. So, Terry, tell us about Darkman. Okay. Um, well, you have a very young Liam Neeson, and um, he is a scientist, and he's working on some synthetic skin prototype thing. Yeah, and he has a certain set of skills. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, and he has his love interest, who is Frances McDormand. Crazy, Frances McDormand. I, I know. About She's that. awesome. I know. I'd completely oh, forgotten she was in it. Everybody's dreamboat. Everybody <laughs> has a crush on her. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she is a lawyer, and she comes across this secret memo that this mob-type guy played by um, Larry, Larry Drake. Larry Drake Giggles. Um, he doesn't want anyone to find, or well, or his boss, or whoever, mob people things. Um, so they're like, ah, we're gonna get it back, and they go to her apartment, where is also Liam Neeson's lab, I guess, same thing. Um, and they get the memo and blow everything up, and so he is deformed and burned on his face and. He goes and takes revenge with bandages and things and fake faces with his crazy synthetic skin. It's awesome. Yes, yes, yeah. He's like he's like burned from head to toe, and because of this, like he has no feeling. His his nerves are shot, so he can't feel anything. So that's one superpower. Yeah. And apparently when this happens to you, it also gives you increased strength, as the doc, as Dr. Exposition explained it well to us. Explained. Almost every time. Well, it, <laughs> it, was, really it wasn't just because of that. It was because of the way they were, the experimental way they were trying to heal him. Oh, the, that's they, right. They had this process they that they used on nerve. people who were yeah. like super badly burned, but something in it also like fried part of his brain and made him like rage it meltdown. It compensates in other ways because he can't feel things and... So yeah, so he uses his like fake skin to create disguises of people within the gang to infiltrate the gang to take it down from the <laughs> inside. And but the thing about the skin, um, it can only last like ninety nine minutes. Is that yep. right? Ninety nine minutes in sunlight, or else it starts breaking down. So he's like every redhead <laughs> transforms into a redhead every time. Apologies to all the redheads listening and all the redheads in the in the crowd tonight. Calm down, don't riot. <laughs> so yeah what'd you think of uh, Dark Man it's awesome I mean I'm a big I, I like Sam Raimi a lot and it, I'd only seen this surprisingly like maybe once before um, really didn't recall that much about it and liked it way more than I thought I did when I rewatched it I really enjoyed it this time around for sure it was one of those I saw in the theater and I Freaking loved it, but it had been years since I've seen it, and it's it was one of those that I was kind of worried watching it again because my my mind telling me that you know even at the time I thought the effects didn't look that good, you know, and like there's stuff that's obviously shot against a green screen, it's kind of stuff like that, yeah. and so, you know some flaws in the makeup and stuff. But watching it again, like I think I loved it more when I saw it in the theater. There were, like, the only effects that really bothered me, there was that one um, effect with Frances McDormand, like, when the apartment blows up and it fades into her at the cemetery, like, that was really cheesy, but still fun. Um, and there were a few, so like, techie effects that looked weird, but I didn't think any of the practical stuff, I thought it looked good. No, I thought yeah. it did, too. It held up better than I remembered it. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that the, the weird of the composite shots and some of the way the effects look, I think that was intentional. I think he wanted to make I, it look like, it, even though 
this was the one that was a comic book after it was a movie. It wasn't yeah. based on a comic. I think he was making it look that way on purpose. I think it was a stylistic choice, largely. No, I totally agree with you, because this definitely has a lot of those early Sam, Sam Raimi, like, crazy camera angles and, you know, crazy, like, moving camera shots and stuff. And there's a lot of things told visually in very overly, overly comic booky fashion um, to enhance the story. Because you mentioned the, the, the dissolve from her, you know, watching him, his apartment blow up to her being at the yeah. cemetery, which, yeah, is kind of cheesy, but that's a comic cheesy, book. Cheesy, exactly. I like, like oh, I can see that on the, the page next. of a comic yeah. book, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's, that's why I think I, I love it even more now, because I appreciate that aesthetic of the, of the film. And, and it's kind of like, it's the creep show of superhero movies, because uh, it was a movie first and then a comic, but it feels more like a comic book than most comic book movies. Yeah. So... And so, you know, if asking the question, why did I pick Darkman? Because this is a horror movie podcast about comic book horror movies. Again, like, out of all the movies that are horror-related, that are based off of comics, this feels like a comic book more than it most feels of those. Like, a like comic. that and Creepshow, but we talk about Creepshow all the time, so. so I didn't put that on the list. And then, yes, it may not really be a horror film, but there are definitely horror elements. The whole design and the whole... Um, um, character of Darkman himself is literally ripped off of every universal monster. I will say specifically, it, I don't think it's actually a universal monster. In specific, the design and the look of Darkman when he's in his bandages and his hat and his cape. If Which is that, badass, by the way. It is. If so that badass. was not based on Vincent Price in the 1953 3D House of Wax, I will eat this microphone. I could totally see that, but I see a lot of Invisible Man in there. You know, A, the bandages, B, the, uh, the psychotic mood swings, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and the fact that, you know, he's just kind of like disappearing into society when he's putting on those masks. So I, saw, I see a lot of Invisible Man in there, which I thought I had read that Invisible Man was one of the influences to, to the design of the character. And then, like, there's obviously Jekyll and Hyde going on in there as well. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's still a lot of dues to horror within this within this film. Have you ever seen House of Wax? Oh yeah, that, oh yeah. That hat and that cape. You're absolutely right. Just like yeah, the, I'm no, not saying wrong. there's no other. Please eat your mic. Yeah, which yeah. Oh, which, oh. oh my gosh. <laughs> I said no. You're wrong. Please eat your mic. Yeah. <laughs> and also thinking of uh, references to horror when they're at the carnival, uh, that the reptile boy. I think that's yeah. a reference to. Oh, nice. Because the makeup, <laughs> Only not, you would think that, though. <laughs> while, while not identical, looks similar enough to it that I bet you anything, because Raimi's a big enough nerd to be throwing stuff like that, and I, I bet that's a, a reference. And that, that lizard boy was, that was Tony Gardner makeup, played by Tony Gardner. Super stud. Oh, there you Effects go. genius. That's right. Did you get the, do you know the Chiota brothers within the movie? They did, the, they did the stop motion moment where the arm was burning away. That's did they true. really? Yeah. Oh, nice. I, I saw missed that. that in the credits. Oh, I could see that too. Because even that, even that moment felt really comic booky. It wasn't like a super, super gross, gory, realistic looking effect. It was rather cartoony in the way his like, skin was burning and peeling off. And there was another stop motion moment too when he's typing the facial recognition stuff in to finish off his face from the parts that were burned away in that photo. 
there's a real hand, but the burn hand is all stop motion. So you got a, a live hand and a an effect in the same scene. Oh, I didn't even notice that one. Nice. That one's a lot less cartoony than the burning. Like it, it's really seamless. I actually had to rewind it and watch it again. Like was that an effect? And yeah, I'm pretty sure that was stop motion. And like I also think there's a little bit of nod there to Evil Dead Two, where when he's having one of his episodes. And he's like in his lab and he's like puts that funnel on his head and he's dancing around. It totally reminds me of Bruce Campbell when he has his like episode when all the furniture's laughing at him and stuff. So, so yeah, I, I really love this movie and um, I can't believe it, it's been this long since I've revisited it. But uh, uh, Jason, what did you think of Dark Man? I was just going to say the same thing. I haven't seen it for years and... I too was scared when I started it, but man, I thought it was awesome. I, I, I loved all the, the visual, kick-ass things, shots that Raimi put in there. Like even in that opening scene, there's just like one shot that's like a POV of the gun, like shooting the crowd. It's like in the middle of this scene, and it's just like, wow, that's fucking cool. And there's just shots like that. Uh, strewn through the film, I I just think stand out. Just just a cool visual style that he just goes for it. And like you said, like the movie feels like a comic book, and that's what's really cool about it. Because Darkman is a comic book hero for sure. I really like Rivet Vision and the rivet. He's shooting the rivets and they're flying. It's all POV of the rivet. That's awesome. Ted, what did you think of Darkman? Um, I was pretty familiar with this. Um, once I sort of fell in love with the Evil Dead series, I went back and watched anything I could of Sam Raimi's, and it, I think it was ahead of its time. Like you guys say, it still stands, you know, it still stands up. It's still great. Um, it doesn't feel like a product of its time where there was a lot of sort of hokey, not, not really hokey, I'd hate to say that, but um, I mean, like Tim Burton was doing the Batman movies and they were so crazy. And this wasn't as crazy, it was a little more grounded, which now we have, you know, next week Avengers comes out and they're very, very, taken very, very seriously where, uh, I don't know, this this felt like sort of a beginning for that where they you can take uh, crazy, and, and it's not based on the comic book, but it's a, it feels like a comic book and it's very... Um, it's so well done that it, it's not necessarily just like a, it's just a good movie rather than just a good sort of superhero movie. It's, it's overall just a great movie. So, and you mentioned uh, Tim Burton's Batman. I had read that Sam Raimi was up for directing Tim Burton's Batman, but it got taken away from him, and that's where Darkman came from, out of the frustrations of not getting to do Batman. But could you imagine the Darkman visual style, but with Batman? I don't know. I feel like... Uh, we we got what we, I don't know. I'm I'm happy the way things went. So I mean, of course oh, I'd sure, like to see yeah. it, but it's like everybody sort of got their spot, and then Raimi ended up doing the Spider-Man films, and you know I don't know. Everybody got their, got what they earned, and I don't know. Feels feels like you know things fell into place like they should have. So I think Mike would argue that the score was be the thing that almost pushed it over too much. Isn't that what you were saying to me the other well, day? Well, I like the score. Um, Danny Elfman's yeah, score Danny is Elfman. solid. I just felt like it was too much throughout the whole film. Like, there wasn't any moment of breathing room without the score. Well, it know? was noticeable, but it may have, I thought it 
I noticed it because it was Danny Elfman. I'm like, because I didn't realize that. I wasn't paying attention, I guess, to the opening credits. Shame on me. But, you know, the music starts and it's so you know it's it. so him. I'm like, no way. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that's distracting to me. Like, yeah. yeah. It's, it's too much. At and the same time, it gives it that fun, aloof comic book feel. But then maybe yeah, it, is the thing. It just felt like there were some scenes it was maybe mixed a little too loud. And I really don't, if, if my memory serves me, which usually doesn't, there, I don't think there was a single moment in the movie that didn't have score playing through it. And it, it just felt like it was too much. It was a great score, don't get me wrong. And it definitely um, adds to the feel of the film. But uh, it just needed to be pulled back just a little bit. That's all I'm saying. So That's I what he's saying. It. That's right. So there. I wonder if he would have gotten uh, Batman, Prince would have still done the music. If, if, uh, if the answer is no, then I think he should have done Batman. <laughs> and then, like, Prince would have done the score or the music for no, Dark No, Prince Man. could just go away. <laughs> well, he did. Oh, Whoa. Shit. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, too soon? Okay. <clears throat> this one didn't really do it for me. <gasps> I'm what? the choice of dissent here. I don't dislike it, and I had seen it before, and I remember not caring for it much again. And when I watched it again for the show, I this is kind of the weird reverse of you ever watch a movie, and while you're watching, you're like, this is terrible. But then you start thinking about it to yourself, at, like Night of the Demon, that killer Bigfoot movie, for example. Yeah. While you're watching that movie, you're like, why the fuck am I watching this? It's awful. And then you finish and you know day a week a month later you're thinking about it, like yeah that there was some stuff in that man i should go back and watch it again it was kind of good this is the exact opposite while i was watching it i was like this is good I, i'm enjoying this and even as we're sitting here talking about it now i'm thinking i don't ever need to see it again <laughs> wow huh. interesting interesting hmm. so it's it's not uh unanimous up here for the love of dark man that's good no seal of approval Oh, Tad, 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 Tad. He's right there. Tad. Hi. Um, you said you uh, made an effort to try to watch everything Sam Raimi. Yeah. Have you ever seen Crime Wave? No. Oh, man. I'm familiar with it, but I, I have not watched it. That's like, I think, his, I think that was his first film after Evil Dead, if I remember right. Yeah. And it was written by, it was written by the Coen brothers, because they were all friends back then. Like, uh, I think it was Joel Coen. Um, helped edit the original Evil Dead, even. Yeah. And uh, but it is, it's like a comedy, um, kind of film noir style, crime film. <laughs> but exactly, it's exactly that. It is one hundred percent a Looney Tunes cartoon, including a scene where people are being chased through op- having to open multiple doors. <laughs> So, so you people, love this movie is what you're saying. It was, it's awesome. It was a huge disaster at the box office and like it like about ruined everybody's career. Too, but, much, uh, too much Three Stooges love? Way too much Three Stooges love. Not for me. I was right. just going to say, you're implying audience. that there's such a thing as too much Three Stooges love? No, I, so a movie I love this movie, but it is bonkers. It is so crazy. It literally is a, a cartoon. And I think that's the only one other than the, um, you know, the more recent, like the uh, Alice in Wonderland stuff, 
Is it, was it? No, it wasn't. Uh, what did he do? Oz the Great. Oz Great Powerful. Yeah. yeah, I haven't seen that, and I haven't seen Crime Wave. I think it's Army of Darkness. I haven't seen. And Wizard of Oz for him. Pretty much, yeah. Even has the car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. So it doesn't suck, is what you're saying? No, it's, it's watchable. It's, it's definitely watchable. Yeah. I own it, and I still haven't watched it yet. <laughs> well, you, Bruce Campbell's in that's, it. That goes oh. for a lot of things for both you and I, I think. Yeah. I own it, but I still haven't watched it yet. Yeah, I think it was one of those that when I was married, I bought it for my wife for Christmas. I would always buy to. movies for the whole family for Christmases and birthdays and stuff, and that was one of them I bought for her thinking. Um, Crossover. If she doesn't watch this, I'm watching it. <laughs> it was kind of more of like, I want to see this, but I can't rationalize buying it for myself. And now looking at it just makes you want to set it on fire. I understand. No, not really. I just still haven't got around to it. Okay. Good one. Yeah. Is that it? Anybody else? Anything else on Darkman? Or Crime Wave? Darkman. Crime Wave. Am I the only one that's seen Crime Wave? Yeah, I'm aware of what it is. Wayne's seen it. Yeah. (laughs) Got it on Blu-ray, son. I guess you're cooler than all of us. All right. Jeez. <laughs> it's right. Gosh. So what else? What other movie we got going to talk about? Why don't you tell us about Virus? Why do I have to do it? Because <laughs> I don't want to, so I'm calling you out. <laughs> the only way this is the one it. that stuck with me the least, and I have to explain it. So the other movie on our list is Virus from 1998. Nine. Nine? With uh, Jamie Lee Curtis... And other people, Donald Sutherland, Donald Sutherland, and one of those damn bald ones, and a bald William. Man. Is it William? I think yeah, it's William. It was William. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Now we know what. No love for the bald ones, huh? I mean, we'll move on. <laughs> that we don't need. We're not recording a Baldwin podcast. What's your favorite Baldwin crowd? Let's go around the room. <laughs> I'm just stalling, the, the trying to remember one. this movie. I don't know. Which one is that? <laughs> it's got to be Steven because of Biodome. Anyway, go on. Right. Yes. There is somebody else on the planet that likes Biodome. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. I mean, I, I said that ironically, but I do like don't. Biodome unironically. So, yeah. That That's, might be one across the board. We all like Biodome, right? Yeah. Wait, you like, just, you like Biodome, too? Of course. I yeah, like I like Biodome, too. Why do you nice. think everyone hates it? I knew you guys are the right people to be on this show. <laughs> I thought I was literally the only one. Like people started hating on Polly Shore long before Biodome, and when Biodome came out, I was like, forget about it. I saw that in the theater too. Nice. Yes. Still stalling, trying to remember virus. Um, <laughs> a boat. Uh, they uh, they get along. They find an abandoned boat, right? And they get on board. It's a Russian vessel. Yeah. Yeah, and it has a virus. It has it's a like computer a sort virus. of like a computer virus that takes over the people slowly. It's sort of like. Um, John Carpenter's The Thing on a boat. Yeah, the, the alien. The, uh, Donald Sutherland is the captain of a, the Sea Star, and they're, they're, uh, it's a tugboat pulling a barge that has a bunch of cargo that he has dumped his life savings into, and it's not insured, and they're in a hurricane. He's like, no, we're plowing through the hurricane no matter what. And random Baldwin guy is like, no, you're going to kill us all. We have to cut the cargo loose. And then the... the uh, 
cable snaps and it goes away anyway. And they find themselves in the eye of the hurricane with this Russian research vessel that's dead in the water. It's dead in the water because the Mir space station has transmitted a sentient energy being down into the computer of the ship. And uh, it has taken over the ship's processes and used them to create a bunch of horrible biomechanoid monsters. And uh, it wants to get to the mainland so it can plug itself into the internet and take over the world. You should do all the synopsis. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the I thought the the mechanical monster creatures were freaking cool. They were, they were amazing because this was right at the beginning of CGI being widely used for movies that didn't have Jurassic Park's budget. Like it was still a gamble to make everything CGI at this point if you didn't have the money to throw at it. And it was a universal movie. So it's not like they didn't have any money. But for whatever reason, they decided to go with uh, largely practical effects. There are only a few moments at the end with the full-sized Goliath robot that are CGI. And even those, the way they're lit and shot, and mostly in the dark with sparks and lightning and stuff flying around, they look really good. Of course, I was watching this in pieces on a VHS tape (laughs) while I was running, which Tad thought was the funniest thing in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Which part? So VHS <laughs> covers a lot of uh, digital <laughs> sins, shall we say. <laughs> well, the beginning of the movie has got some pretty bad CGI. That energy yeah. wave going through space? Uh-huh. Yeah, it looks when, a little silly. That whole space stuff looks so bad, I thought I, was, I, thought I watched the wrong movie. I thought, <laughs> like, is this an asylum movie called Virus? I? <laughs> I remember seeing this one in the theater and thinking it was just absolutely awesome and then watching it again years later and going, this is dumb. And then watching it again for the show, I hadn't watched it in a long time, so I pulled my old tape out and you know what? It's a lot of fun. I really dug it because I forgot how cool all the effects were. It looks fantastic. It is It is fun. I mean, it's. it doesn't really offer... Anything new story wise? Once it gets going, once it gets going into yeah, once it gets going, it is screenwriting one hundred and one. Oh yeah, beat for beat, this is just the bare bones of how you write a sci-fi action horror story. I Mm -hmm. I felt like I just kept waiting. I'm like, it was the movie took place between scenes of me waiting for like cool robot monsters, like or uh, (laughs) like you know infected people hybrids with monsters. I'm like, just get to that. I almost want that. The good news is once the monsters start showing up, they just keep showing up yeah. until the end of the yeah. movie. They were really cool looking, man. Just like this blend of like human and, and machine. Things. and But it's like all like visceral and gooey and gross and bloody. Yeah. You know, all the human parts. It's like that, like, steampunk, uh, like, melted man. Yeah. Yeah. You can, like... Slime punk. (laughs) Slime punk. It also kind of reminded me a little bit of, like, the robot in uh, hardware. Yep, I was just going to say that, yeah, the the face of the main robot at the end totally looks like the thing from Richard Franklin's Mm -hmm. hardware. Before I say anything else, were you going to do trivia for this one? No, no, no trivia for this. Because you assume nobody here had seen Pirates. <laughs> Couldn't figure out any trivia for this. Apparently, like, Jamie Lee Curtis hates this movie. Yeah, yeah I, I honestly yeah. was like, how did they get her in this? Like, yeah. how much money did she need? What, what, like, well, Don- somebody Donald needed Sutherland maybe was Donald at Sutherland least as expensive as her. Yeah, somebody needed one a of them was attached, built. so the other one was like, ah, oh, I can't be that bad. But is the movie <laughs> actually bad? I don't think so. But no, it seems it's like not it's got bad. A it's a little rap generic. For 90s generic crap like yeah. Yeah. before I watched it I'm like 
really, we got to watch Pirates? Oh, my God. <laughs> just for the stigma. But like, I'm watching it. I'm like, and I watched it when it came out, and I just didn't remember it. But I'm watching it. I'm like, this, this is good. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's a generic no but perfectly to... serviceable monster movie. Totally. Yep. And it's, it came out right around the same time as Deep Rising, which I think is better because yeah. it's yep. way more fun. Yeah. But they're very, very similar. So maybe cool. it's just because it's one of those that came out in a lump of movies like yeah. it. Although this maybe. had been around in in some form for quite a while because you were talking about Darkman being a movie first and then a comic book. This was actually originally written by Chuck Farr as a film script. And he couldn't sell it because at the time it was far too expensive with all the monsters and stuff. Every studio he took it to was like, there's just no way we can do this. So he eventually, in 1995, sold it to Dark Horse Comics and it got published as a four-issue miniseries there, which I uh, did have a chance to read before this. And I, when this showed up on the list, it was like, this is a comic book movie? <laughs> I was shocked, and, too, to find yeah. that out. And then I started watching it, and it says Dark Horse Productions at the beginning. Yeah. Like, oh, what? how did I not? Because in 99, I would have been reading that. And once I started reading the comic, I started recognizing the covers because they'd been advertised in other Dark Horse titles I was reading at the time, because Dark Horse was doing Godzilla, Aliens, Predator, all kinds of stuff that I'd read a ton of their titles back in the day. And so when I saw those covers, like, oh, duh, how did I not remember? when Because it, it was only four years after the comic that the movie yeah. came out. How did I not remember that? But they did yeah. a really good job of recreating a lot of the creatures from the comic in the movie. Like, a lot of them look very similar. Well, and I want to talk about that that title there at the beginning, um, Dark Horse Pictures, like there's been a several movies that have been taken from Dark Horse, uh, but I don't remember them ever getting a credit like that at the beginning. No, but wouldn't it have been amazing if they had gotten to start their own studio like Marvel? Oh, That's what I was wondering. Like, was it leading to that? But then, like, Virus did Virus put a stop it? to it? Yeah. yeah. It's possible, yeah. The Dark Horse cinematic universe. <laughs> Hellboy cool. and Grendel fighting Predator and aliens while Godzilla smashing shit in the background. That would have been awesome. Wake up, Brian. You're dreaming. Oh, oh so sorry. <laughs> Damn it. Why do you always have to ruin my fun? I'm sorry. Samuel Jackson shows up at the end of the mask saying, I need people with a certain set of skills. <laughs> Dark Horse actually did have their own superhero uh, line at one point. There was X yeah. and there was Ghost and X, there was a yeah. few other ones. I remember X. I think I got the first issue of that when it came out. Because I, I thought his costume looked cool. And in the original comic, there's that it starts out pretty faithful and then uh, things change a lot as the movie goes on just for cost reasons. Like uh, it, In the comic, originally the ship was Chinese. That didn't change for cost reasons. I just suppose the political climate changed and Russia was an easier target at the time or something. Um, at one point, the ship gets attacked by fighter jets because the Chinese government has figured out that this is going on and they're trying to stop it. But the, the virus uses the uh, radar dish on the ship to disable the jets and crash them. Um, and then at one point, there's, for some reason, because it's a research vessel, there's a fighter jet on the deck of the ship. Of course there is. And the, the <laughs> virus gets into it, and the, the final robot monster in the comic is essentially a biomech transformer that it gets a hold of this fighter nice. jet cool. and turns it into a monster. Wake up. I'm up. That's cool. Wake up, Jason. You're dreaming. Ah, <laughs> It's not real. So what did everybody think 
That's way better than I thought I was going to be. I'm so pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Not just from the slime punk uh, man monster Borg people, but the the big guy at the end was... I, thought it was mostly seamless kick-ass giant robot destroying shit it was awesome <laughs> yeah that goliath robot was nine feet tall and weighed two tons good lord yeah i thought the um all of the the machinery and all that kind of stuff was it was really cool but i kind of like Tad said, like I was waiting for more monsters to show up because I wasn't really interested in the story. Yeah, I mean, because there's not a not lot much of, story of the story. On, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the story is pretty much waiting for that to yeah. come. Yeah, like, <laughs> does yeah. anyone have an idea what the hell kind of accent Donald Sutherland was oh trying to gosh. do? <laughs> Depended on the scene, I guess. It came and go, came and went a lot. Yeah, and I always knew Jamie Curtis Irish, was in this movie, but I didn't know Donald Sutherland when it was. And I, as soon as I, he showed up, I'm like, oh, nice. You know, so uh, now I'm in. So, yeah. So that was one of the things that we did, too, is, um, well, some of us, I don't know if everybody got a chance to read uh, the comics uh, for the different movies. Nope. <laughs> I just read this one. I, I've, I I've read Man, some Vault of Horror before, but I didn't yeah. feel it was necessary since none of the stories in the movie were from the comic. Read Tales from the Crypt instead. Right. I yep. started the Dark Man comic, but I'm just like, oh, this is exactly like the movie, and I just <laughs> didn't finish it. Oh, okay. Because I think Marvel put out that as a miniseries, if I remember right, Marvel put out the Dark Man comic as a miniseries movie adaptation. And a lot of times when you get those, you get like things that weren't in the movie. So I was curious. I didn't get that far to like all the racism in the virus comics. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it it's Ooh. not like Oof. constant, but there are a couple of things. We're like, yep, you could not have gotten away with putting that in a movie in 1999. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> Yay. <All right. laughs> so yeah, cool. Anything else anybody have to say about virus? So, comic book related horror movies. What are some of your guys' favorites? Well, I, I um, I watched a couple just for our roundtable because I was when I was doing a little bit of research, I found that apparently, Cemetery Man is very very oh, loosely yeah. based on the Dylan Dog comics, Italian comics, which I had no idea that was a thing. So I revisited that, and it's so good, freaking crazy. But um, I love that movie. It's and then great. I also watched um, Dylan Dog Dead of Night, which is like a more direct adaptation. Is that, that's the one with Brandon Routh, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah, I thought it, it's pretty fun. Uh, I don't think it held up as well as I remembered it because I bought it like after I watched it the first time, and I don't know if I would have bought it <laughs> now. But I mean, it was fun. Yeah. Um, but they're so different. I don't. I can't even tell what was adapted for Cemetery Man, other than zombie killer dude. Yeah. Like. <laughs> but you know, both both fun, comic book adapted ones. Cool. What about you, Brian? Well, I know it's a little obvious and easy, but I absolutely love Hellboy. I've been a yes. fan for a long time. Yeah. Of the comics and the movies, both. Del Toro's two movies are my favorite comic book movies, and I am 
very, very angry about the new one coming out that does not have him in it because he didn't get to finish his vision and God damn it, David Harbour isn't Hellboy. Only Ron Perlman is Hellboy <laughs> and I will not accept yeah. substitutes. What if he's good though? It's Hopper. Who? Yes, I know. He's fine in Stranger <laughs> Things. I'm not but saying I don't a, like him, period. What if he does a good Hellboy? I don't chance. care. He's not Ron Perlman. <laughs> what if he does better? You shush. <laughs> I just... <laughs> don't make me come over there. <laughs> this is why we do the show it's Not in the Skype. same room. Yeah. <laughs> I'm That's with funny. you on Hellboy. I, I do love those movies, too. I, I, I'm more of a fan of the first one. I, felt, I feel like the second one... Strayed a little bit one. from the material. Uh, it felt lo- it felt more they, fantasy. They, they both strayed than, from the material. They Del Toro changed tons of things. Like the I, I know mean, there was no love story in the comics at all. I know, but I just the look and the feel of that first movie. Like I never thought I would see. Um, oh, I'm gonna slaughter his name, uh, Mike. Uh, yeah, that guy. Yes, that's my, yeah. That's my point. Like I never th- would think I'd see a live-action version of that art style, and I feel like that's what the first movie was. And it, I felt like it kind of when it gets in more of the fairy tale aspect of the second movie, it didn't feel didn't feel quite the same to me. That's true. The, the second one is a lot more Del Toro than yeah, Mignola. The first say. one is a good mix of. And the that's two. probably why I like the second one more because I don't. Yeah. I'm not familiar with the source material, right. and I'm just looking at them as straight-up movies and. So I love the second. I, I think the second one. I enjoy that quite a bit more. I do love okay. the first one too. I just yeah. saying I can I rewatchability on the second one. I watch. I tend to watch that one way more. Cool. Okay. What about you uh, for favorite comic book? I don't know, movies? man. Thirty Days a Night. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of horror ones, man, that that came out of nowhere. As as I will continue saying in this, I am not a comic book reader, so I was not familiar with the story going in. I sort of went in blind and was blown away by how visceral and scary and well done that was. It still holds up too. So, I mean, there's not a lot to talk about because I'm sure everybody's seen that one. That that was sort of a big uh, hit at the box office and did really well, very popular. So, but it, it fits this podcast perfectly because it's it is a straight up horror movie. Oh yeah, and it's. I remember made, made yeah. vampires scary again. Yeah, it was. It, it is, and it's awesome. The whole idea of it, the whole idea of the story is is pretty terrifying. So it's one of those stories that I'm like, I'm surprised it took somebody this long to figure this out. Right. Like, how perfect is that? Where should vampires go when they when they want to get away from the sunlight? Go live in Alaska for a while, and it's like 30 days of nighttime. And there is actually some hubbub when the comics came out that Steve Niles didn't originate that idea. There is apparently a very similar story somewhere in the annals of Tales from the Crypt. Oh, really? Interesting. So cinematic and yeah. And that nice. one, I have read that that uh, comic graphic novel, and it's pretty close to the source material from what I recall. I think I did a Wicked Words on that a while back. And what's sort of funny is um, I bought a 30 Days of Night action figure from your store in Atoma before I knew you. Uh-huh. Many years before I even knew who you were, I went to your store and bought the action figure, and I have it at my house, and now it's, it's sort of Aww. like a little token. It's like, you know, years Aww. later, who would have known? You want me to come over and sign it? No, please don't ride on my toys. <laughs> <laughs> you can come over, but keep your pen in your pocket. <laughs> if I had a nickel for pen, every time. Yes. 
Jason, what about you? I'm going to go with <laughs> RoboCop. No? It's not horror. Jump. And it was movie first. Um, y'all, anybody watch The Preacher Show? I really like the comic a lot. Yeah, the, I, I had the same reaction. I watched the show, and I really liked the comic a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was... I liked the show, though. I couldn't continue. It got to a point where I was like, eh. I just want to... Because I just... That's tough material to try to, to adapt was, to a TV show. I was going to get to the things that I knew. It, and, and by the end of the first season, they got to the first page of the comic. Right, right. That's why I'm I, like... I will say... Really? Yeah. The guy so, they got to play Cass, they could not have gotten a better guy. Like Cass, Cass was, was perfect, good, yeah. but that was the only thing they got right. You didn't like Custer? No, I guess the Jesse. Santa Kill. They did a good job with the Santa Killers. That Santa that part, Killers. that little flashback sequence. You know, whenever they went to his story, I enjoyed it. Yeah, but yeah, other the rest of it was just. Oh, eh. I don't know. <laughs> Any I, others? What about you? Blade. Blade? Oh, yeah, Blade. Mm-hmm. Like Which Blade we watched not too long ago because we did a crossover with uh, another podcast, Nightmare Junkheads. Yeah, and, and go Blade 2, which is awesome, and another Del Toro movie. I, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, maybe a biased opinion, but I think I prefer Blade 2 over Blade 1. Well, it's because it's a better movie. Well, yeah. <laughs> For me, though. And it has Danny John Jules from Red Dwarf in it. For me, though, I think I'm going to have to go with uh, the made-for-sci-fi movie Man-Thing. You would. I'm just that's kidding. That's a nice choice. <laughs> that's actually... The, that, that's not a bad movie. Oh, you're kidding. That's I'm not kidding. Oh. But the movie isn't that bad, though. I liked it. Real, I shut it off. I couldn't finish it. Oh, whoa. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that was also at the height of my anti-CGI movement. Yeah, so that's true. I've calmed down since then about the whole thing, but um, I don't know. I think... You guys nailed my some of my favorites. I mean, I, I will always say Creep Show, even though it technically wasn't a comic book mo- a comic book first. But uh, wasn't Swamp Thing a comic book too? Swamp Thing, which I really liked, and I went back and tried to rewatch that not so long ago. I still like the movie, but it totally doesn't hold up because I I got to see Swamp Thing in the theater when I was little, and I that might have been one of the very early sparks for horror for me. Like it still took a long time between watching that movie and my love for horror that I have now. But, uh, but that was a movie that I was like, I was terrified and couldn't look away at the same time. Because I knew, like, this is a comic book. I love comic books. This, to me, Swamp Thing's a superhero. But when, uh, you know, when um, Crane becomes that boar beast character at the end, like... As a kid, it terrified me. As an adult, I'm like, that's a paper mache fake head that looks like shit. But yeah, it's totally static. It doesn't move at all. It needed like a oh. mouth that could open or something. No, I, it was either that or when the um, the bald henchman transforms into the little dwarf monster. Yeah, that creature. scared the shit out that, of me as a yeah, kid too. Yeah, that freaked me the hell out. Yeah, but uh, so I so I loved it and was like scared of that movie all at the same time, but. Yeah, it doesn't hold up, but we all know the nightmares of Wes Craven trying to get that movie made, so, yeah. Before we toss it out, I want to say one, and we could go down the rabbit hole of Japanese stuff all night long, but uh, there's a movie called Uzumaki that's based on a manga, and there are tons of Japanese horror movies based on manga, but that one is very creepy and Lovecraftian and surreal. It's not like a splatter flick like a lot of more modern Japanese horror movies tend to be. 
and uh, it's fantastic. So. Yeah, and by we, you mean you could go all night. Yeah. <laughs> but but we in the fact that you're all going to be stuck here listening yes. to me. Yes. So I'll just leave it at that. I could contribute to the Giver. Oh yeah, the Giver's awesome, yeah, especially the first go. one with all the Reanimator references and stuff in it. Oh yeah, yeah. And J.J. Walker rapping. Yeah. <laughs> well, they got Jeffrey Combs as a doctor named Dr. East. <laughs> yep. Yep. They weren't even trying. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> but I still think the creature designs, and if you compare it to compare it to the, the uh, Japanese Japanese animated uh, cartoon, it uh, the monsters don't hold up because they were big hulking beasts. And I don't know if you ever seen that one. Oh yeah, yeah. I love not, not all one. of it, but I've seen a lot of the cartoon. Yeah. Yeah, I used to have all those on VHS. I I just so fell in love with it. I think it was biased because I saw the movie first and then like went and found the the Japanese anime. I would guess that's um, how a lot of Americans came into that one. Yeah, probably. But uh, but I still think the creature designs are cool in that in that first film. Um, you know, screaming Mad George and Steve Wang effects. So cool stuff. What about anyway. does anyone have a horror comic that they want to be adapted that hasn't been adapted yet? Ooh. Because Lock and Key is one for me, for sure. <laughs> Good one. No one else? Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> not, it's one of those no, things where you ask me a question and I have a thousand horror comics and just forgot every single one of them because you brought <laughs> yep. it up. Yep. Yep, I can't think of anything. Anybody else? Preacher. Oh yeah, well we still They're need still a good one. Still waiting on it to stop at. <laughs> I will say uh, anything by Richard Corbin, like Rat God or uh, his adaptation of uh, House on the Borderlands, that would be cool because Richard Corbin is awesome. Dang it, I can't think of anything. Sandman horror. Yeah, yeah, it's horror adjacent. I would yeah. say so. I mean, if if Preacher is horror, then Sandman yeah, is. I'd well, there's a lot of that DC Vertigo stuff uh, I would like to see. One of my one of my favorites. I don't know if again if you'd call it really horror or not, but uh, um, I was I was always a huge fan of when the Doom Patrol went to Vertigo because uh, those story it was uh, Grant Morrison did that run, and those stories are just freaking insane and don't make any sense. And to be able to see that translated into something live action would be Amazing. Because that's what we need is more movies that don't make any sense. <laughs> what are you talking about? Don't you, Those don't are your you even start. <laughs> I just thought of one. We need Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that have should have been my comic. pick. You, you saying that made me realize mine too. Hackslash. In fact, yeah. there was going to be a Hackslash movie at one point, and then it got kiboshed. But yeah, I would, I would really love to see a Hackslash movie. That first Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash comic um, would have been the script to do if you made a movie. They got all the references in there, and they they did a great job of paying attention to details in the movies that were able to link all three franchises together and have it make sense with a plot line that made sense, where it's you know Freddy trying to hunt down the Necronomicon by using Jason, so Ash has to get involved because it's the Necronomicon. But then when you get into the, the sequel to that, when it was Freddy versus Jason versus Ash, oh, I can't remember the name of the, the second one. That one goes off the rails and it's not as good, but it still had a lot of really fun 
nods to the fans of those. There's like a scene in it where Ash has to goes to this um, support group for survivors of Freddie and Jason. <laughs> nice. And so like uh, Alice is there and uh, Tommy Jarvis and and Tina and and yeah. So so that was so that was awesome. that was fun. Um, but then when they go when they go after the president of the United States when you have Jason and Freddie going after the president of the United States I'm like nah you've gone too far yeah that's Reanimator's story damn it exactly oh I think I figured it out <laughs> it's my all time favorite horror comic again my comic bookdom is based in superheroes I love guys in capes and tights and I love superheroes but I'm ching so. For me, he's really hot and bothered in here. <laughs> For me, the greatest, and since Marvel is such a huge thing nowadays, my my ultimate horror com horror comic book movie would be Mar um, Marvel Zombies. Oh, that first shit. Marvel Zombies yeah. story would be freaking amazing. Because basically, it's the Marvel universe with all of its superheroes. But there's a zombie virus, and it affects the superheroes first. And so you got, like, Spider-Man eating Aunt May. And <laughs> you get, like, the Hulk who just, like, can, just devours people left and right. And then when he's full, he calms down and turns back into Bruce Banner zombie. But when he's Bruce Banner zombie, he can't contain everything that he eats. So when he shrinks back down, like, his guts explode... And his guts and body parts are just hanging out. Oh, it is awesome. It is, it is such a fun... And it's um, written by... Um, shoot, Walking Dead guy. Kirkman. What? Well, yes. And uh, so, you know, now would be the perfect time for that movie. Right? Walking Dead's popular. Marvel movies are popular. Let's do it. Marvel Zombies. <laughs> oh, Walking Dead's sort of up. on the decline in popularity, so it would have been like four years ago would have been the time. But So Walking Dead is declining in popularity about six years after its decline in quality. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> it's not wrong. Too true. <laughs> anyway, so we want to know we want to know if uh, we're going to take a break. And so we are going to take a break real quick. And when we come back, we'll do our segments here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. Good evening. It's intermission time. Our service is friendly and quick. You'll find hot dogs, hamburgers, pizza, your favorite candies, hot and cold beverages, and other delicious snacks. So add to your fun of watching the movie. Visit our refreshment stand right now. We're glad to have you with us tonight. We hope you'll come to see us often. It's great to get out to the movies. And we're back here at Attack of the Killer Podcast. It was a fun break. And we're <laughs> I feel gonna, refreshed. <laughs> and we're going to start our segments portion of the show. We're going to start with everybody's favorites. Shout outs! It's time for... Shout outs! Okay, so I'm just, just going to go around the room. Everybody gets to come talk on a microphone. L Luane, you're going to be first. 
But just asking everybody what, what their favorite horror movie comic book is. And like we talked at the end, what comic book would you like to see made into movies as well? Hey, guys. Um, the, the first thing that came to mind for me with this, part of the problem is the movie adaptation of this kind of became more of an action movie, so it almost doesn't seem to fit. But the original uh, Obar's Crow as a horror movie um, yeah, yeah. I can totally agree with that. Because, I mean, it's, it's still action-oriented, but you're dealing with an undead hero. I mean, parts of him are coming apart, you know, the whole business. It's, it's more of a horror uh, comic. Um, and, frankly, all of the other series of various Crow comics to varying degrees and varying levels of quality um, all have a lot of horror element to them. So that was kind of the first thing I thought of. Um, and unfortunately, Terry stole my suggestion for what I would suggest for something I'd like to see, um, because um, I remember her recommending it, and then I read it, or listened to it, rather, so and uh, decided, yeah, that would be something I'd like to see. So, that's it. I think there was a crappy pilot at one point, but it never got picked up. Yeah, they need you a better one. Re- Sorry. No, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> you also reminded me of another one. The world needs an evil Ernie movie. <laughs> Man, you want to talk? You got any ideas, thoughts? Well, I'm not really comic book folks, so I don't have a whole lot to, to contribute here. The only one I can think of that wasn't discussed at length already is probably From Hell, but I didn't like that. Oh, yeah, I forgot about From Hell. From Hell, yeah. But I don't remember, <laughs> I don't remember anything about it, so you're probably right. I, I remember the ending being, a down, being disappointing, but other than that, I, I don't remember much about it either. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah other than that, I, don't, I know nothing about comics, so. <laughs> you and Tad, you got two two of us. Nips, you got something. Come on over here. I can't get any further. <laughs> Yay to the non-reader. <laughs> well, anything that wasn't mentioned, I would think uh really enjoyed Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum prose story. So Batman Arkham Asylum. Yeah. Uh, really kind of terrifying night of Batman and Arkham as the Joker's transforming into whatever his new form is. So it kind of takes into that... You know, the campy Joker, the, any Joker you've seen is the real Joker. He just does this kind of terrifying metamorphosis into his new persona each time. So Batman has to deal with the Arkham inmates as he tries to stop him before he can escape. So I think that'd be a good one. That would be a good one, absolutely. Like a, a, a more horror-themed kind of Batman story. And you don't get much darker than that one. So Not to mention it'd be a hell of a lot cheaper, so you wouldn't have a $200 million Batman movie and... You know, not as much pressure on it to do well. So, anything else? Any movies you've seen that comic book movies or? Uh, actually, the one, only one that hasn't been mentioned that came to mind. Now, you know, getting into uh, Japanese manga could go all night, as you mentioned. But uh, one of the things, one of the ones I really like is uh, Takashi's uh, Ichi the Killer. Yeah, a, that movie yeah. is fantastic. Damn it, that should have been mine. <laughs> that just uh, sticks out because when Mike and Jay still had the store, I would go on kind of DVD buying binges of just stuff that looked crazy, and that's one of the ones I picked up in there. So, don't get much crazier than that one. Yeah, the only movie I can think Good of pick. whose title is splattered out in semen on the screen. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> well, no one else looks like they want to volunteer, so I think that's shoutouts. And finally, boils and ghouls, we have one last bower-watering, scrotum-shivering piece of putrid sepulchritude for you about a boy who wanted to find the perfect horror movie. One day, in a run-down pawn shop, he found a promising-looking tape. 
When he took it home and watched it, his mind reeled at the life-altering images paraded before his young eyes. He showed it to one friend after another, raving about how they wouldn't believe what they were seeing. And one after another, they just couldn't see it. Nothing was there, they explained, except for bad acting and wobbly sets and shoddy special effects. He spent the rest of his life trying to find just one other person who could see what he saw, a futile quest that has turned him into the haunted wreck of a man you see before you. It's a sordid little cautionary tale we like to call Insane's Picks. <laughs> It's 1980, and it's time for another Jaws ripoff movie. How about Piranhas? No. It's been done. Oh, I know, a killer whale. Been there, done that. An octopus? Okay, now you're not even trying. Oh, I know. Mutant giant crabs. Perfect, let's shoot it. Yes, I'm talking about 1980s. Island Claw, or Island Claws, yes. Uh, written and produced, directed by a guy, I'm not even going to bother pronouncing his name. It's the only movie he ever did, so we can move on. So, I already knew that I loved this movie, just for the fact of the first 10, 15 minutes of dialogue in this movie, that just is so up, you know, there's different types of bad acting, right? There's just like, hey... Let's go over there. That's that one. That's one form of bad acting, right? This is a type of bad acting I call peppy bad acting, where everything is just doesn't matter what we're talking about. We're just so happy to be saying it, and it just sounds so bad <laughs> and so after school special. It's very after school special for the first 10, 15 minutes of this movie. Uh, there's uh, um, off the coast of Florida. There's this nuclear power plant that leaks into the water and it causes the crabs in this little town to go crazy and there's all these awesome scenes of people being hunted and chased by these like little sidewalking crabs it's glorious <laughs> the best is the uh the, the drunk banjo player from the bar when he gets attacked he's the first victim of the crabs and he's in his home which is a, a bus and the crabs just start. He, he looks out the he looks out the front window. I can't even talk about this movie. He looks out the front window of his bus, and there's crabs all over the hood, and he's screaming as if he's like being gutted by like Freddy or something. He's just like, "Oh my God, there's crabs all over the hood of my bus." <laughs> And so he turns around, there's crabs leaking in through God knows where on the side of the bus. They're coming in through the windows, and it's the most horrifying thing ever because it's these little crabs coming after him. He's being attacked. You know, open the door, maybe leave? I don't know, but there's crabs everywhere in here. And it's, it's so frightening that he can't control himself, and he knocks over his lantern and sets the bus on fire, incinerating him in the process. Cook and, crab. Yeah, cooking a bunch of delicious crabs. <laughs> are you right. talking about giant mutant crabs? No, these are just regular crabs. We haven't even gotten to the mutant crab yet. Oh, my God. These are just literally just little... I think that's the sound they make when they walk, too. Walking sideways with the pincher, you know. 
And Mr. Crab from Krusty Krabs, a bunch of them, his whole family just walking along. That's the sound of and you itching your crabs. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then that's not all. We don't have all just these little tiny crabs crawling all over the place. Eventually, oh, there is one giant, huge, what, nine foot, oh, ten it, foot. It's bigger than that, yeah, because people foot. are climbing on it. I bet it's a good 15 or 20 feet. Yes. That thing is gigantic. Whoa crab that starts attacking everybody in this town, tearing apart people's houses and, and causing havoc. And you don't really see much of the giant crab. It's no. mostly you see like a claw through most of the movie. Probably because it was made out of like 50,000 pounds of fiberglass and they couldn't move the damn thing. <laughs> and until you get to the glorious third act when, the, when it's man versus crab, right? Oh, shit. And... You get to see the crab in all its glory where they, they, keep, they keep attempting to, they, they run outside, they attack the crab with whatever plan they have, and then that doesn't work, so they run back inside, come up with a new plan, they run back outside and try it again, that doesn't work, so they run back inside, come up with a new plan. And most of these plans involve just dancing with the giant claw that's in front of them. It's a lot of like, a lot of like this, dancing around the claw. And at one point, one of our heroes jumps on the back of the crab, takes this like stick and starts jabbing it in the eye, which is eventually what does in the car- it does the does in the crab, right? Like, why in the hell you did do that the first twenty attempts that you tried to take down the crab? No, they're like trying to inject it with rat poison at one point with this little <laughs> tiny dart, but uh, you know it's it's a piece of wood that does the crab in. So they eventually kill the crab, and then that was the first day Red Lobster was open. So, I was gonna ask if they made a giant crab cake at the end. So, oh, there's a whole weird racist subplot about these like this like uh, group of like Haitians trying to escape something. I missed something Probably in trying there. Trying to escape the movie they were in. I would think so. <laughs> and all these little all these rednecks in this town are like pointing guns at them and stuff and. It's it's a crazy movie. It's on Amazon Prime, but it's a crappy, crappy rip off of a VHS, so it looks horrible. But it probably does service to the crab monster at the end that you can't see it too well. I have it on pristine Blu-ray, and it does not make the movie any better. They, they put it on Blu-ray. <laughs> yep. Yep. We can't get Razorback, but they put that on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Scorpion releasing. <laughs> so. So, but I recommend it, especially if you have Amazon Prime, because it's free to watch. You know, check it out. It is, it is, it's a fun goof. It just drag on for a little bit, but if you like glorious, you know, happy bad acting, then um, you can get through it till you get to the crabs. But uh, yeah, that's it, man. Um, yeah, wow. Island Claws, written by Riku Browning, who was Creature from the Black Lagoon. That's right. That's right. Crazy. He should have stayed in the creature suit. Yep. So I think that's it. I just had one quick question. Was that uh, Brian? Your intro for Insane's pick was that your Donald Sutherland impression from Virus? Yeah, that was my. Uh, I just drank a huge coffee that had cayenne pepper in it, and my throat oh. is shredded. Voice. I was hoping it was uh, John Carpenter and body bags. Oh. That could be too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I liked it. Whatever it was. So, yeah, so uh, huge thanks to everybody coming out for the show. Big it's thanks to Capes awesome. Cafe. And, yes, and let's, let's give it up for uh, Capes Cafe for 
allowing us to be here. Thank you so much. We'll be in the lobby uh, if you want autographs after the show. That's right. We'll be hanging out by, oh, what's that over there? The merch table. Ooh, we have merchandise fancy. for sale as well. So come check out the merch table. Come chat with us. Get some autographs. But thanks for being here. And everybody at home, thanks for listening. And ha-ha, you didn't get to be here. But uh, don't miss out on the next time we do this live because... Everybody here would say it was a real treat. So thanks for listening, and we will talk to you again soon on Attack of the Killer podcast. Yeah. Oh, no. Could this be the end, though? Wow.